Thank you for joining Holy Spirit Living, the podcast that encourages and equips believers to live each moment intentionally to bring glory to God and build His kingdom. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 3. It's going to be verse 13 to 17 starting out. But we went from the ashes and a service of repentance. So, and you say, well, how is that repentance? The repentance part of it is we're going to turn from our complacent ways, our ways, and we're going to turn to God. That's what you do with the 40, 40 days. You give something up to push you closer to God. And I always tell people when you're giving up, when you're fasting for that 40 days, to fast on something that you feel you depend on and then push into the Word of God and depend on the Word of God in place of that. And we're going to see some stuff today about the Israelites and how they became complacent with God and things had to change. So we went from a place of repentance and now we're going into a place of baptism. In chapter 3, Matthew, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is replying, he says, let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. This situation where Jesus is baptized, it's kind of like the grand opening, so to speak, for Jesus' ministry. It begins the launch of the sequences of Jesus towards the eventual crucifixion. It makes a powerful thought to think about. He came in as a boy, a baby, moved into his ministry, got baptized. So it's an unusual story because depending on what you think about baptism, there doesn't seem to be any reason for Jesus to be baptized. There's a little confusion about baptism today. Sometimes you, some people think that they're saved by baptism. First thing they'll say is, I've been baptized. I was baptized when I was seven. I was baptized when I was a baby. And they put that reliance of being baptized into their salvation. And we know that's not true. I mean, there's some people that will argue with you, but if you read the main scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. Not whosoever shall believeth in him and plus anything else, be baptized or anything. And you say, well, I have to argue with that, but what about the thief on the cross? I believe in you. From this day forward, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, get off the cross. Go get baptized. You better call the guards up here. Let's baptize you real quick because you're not going to get to heaven. He said, you believed in me, right? You believed in me. It kind of reminds me of a story of a drunk. This drunk stumbled across the creek and there was a preacher and they're baptizing. And the, the, the drunk goes out and stands beside the preacher and he's waiting for a little bit, and the preacher says, Son, are you ready to find Jesus? He said, Yeah. So the preacher dunks him, pulls him up, says, You find Jesus? No. Okay, let's try it again. 
Boom, dunks him, brings him up. How about now? No. Now the preacher's kind of getting mad. So he, he takes him down, holds him down for 30 seconds, and brings him back up and says, Did you find him yet? And the drunk says, Are you sure this is where he fell in at? <laughs> Baptism isn't where we find Jesus, is it? No. See, baptism's what you do once you found Jesus. But that doesn't answer the question, why did Jesus, why would Jesus get baptized by John? Why? I think it's important to realize that John didn't just come up with a, the baptism idea of like sitting around with a bunch of the guys and saying, hey, how about if we go out and dunk some guys? And it, it, that ain't how it come up with John. It wasn't just a thought that just popped up. There's actually a story behind the story. There's an upper story to the lower story. There's a Part two of the story, like Paul Harvey says, here's the rest of the story, right? He says, we have two key players here. We have Jesus and his cousin John, John the Baptist. John's ministry was to what? Prepare the way for the Messiah. His message was simple and straightforward. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love that. Sometimes we hear repent, or you're going to burn in hell. But this says repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about that. If I'm repenting, I'm repenting not because I'm scared of going to hell, but I'm repenting because I want to bring heaven close. He says, bring heaven to earth. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Heaven's available. See, when people repented, he baptized them. Jewish people were looking for a deliverer to make things in their country right. There were people whose land was occupied by oppressors, people that was trying to hold them down, and what they were trying to do was they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were people whose land was occupied by an oppressive foreign government. They longed for the Messiah. But it was more than that. The people whose relationship with God had grown cold. So they're wanting to get baptized for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Oh, Jesus is going to come back. But there was more to it. They got complacent. God had chosen their forefather Abraham to patriarch his people for hundreds of years before, like many relationships, it started out strongly. But through the years, complacency set in. See, familiarity breeds contempt. When we get used to somebody, it's kind of boring now. Israel started taking God for granted. And God wouldn't tolerate that for long with the relationship. Not with the relationship with them or relationship with us. Let me tell you another little story. A businessman gets on a plane. He's heading out west, and he goes to sit down. There's another guy sitting beside him, and he says, are you driving for business or pleasure? He says, well, I'm coming for pleasure right now. We just got married. I'm on my honeymoon. The businessman says, well, where's your wife at? Oh, she's a few seats behind. He says, we haven't moved yet. I'll trade seats with her and let her sit with you. He said, no, we've been with each other for the whole week. He says, I'm, I'm good with that right now. I'm okay with that. Do you get that? I've been with her all week. I don't need her to sit by me right now. See, familiarity breeds contempt. So they've been, he's been with her all week. I'm good. I don't need to be hanging out with her right now. We get like that with God sometimes. See, this guy, not only did it breed contempt, it probably breeded a place for him to sit on the couch or sleep on the couch that night. So let me give you a brief history about God's relationship with Israel. God blesses and Israel enjoys. Israel becomes complacent, takes God for granted, turns her back on them. God gets Israel's attention through tragedy. The Israelites repent. The relationship is restored. And then the cycle begins all over again. 
John the Baptist comes along during the down cycle of Israel's relationship with God, and they become complacent, taking God for granted, and they turn their backs on him. So God allowed them to experience discomfort in order to get their attention. Honestly, he does the same thing with us sometimes, don't he? Sometimes it will, he'll let us get into that molding process where we have to have the air bubbles taken out. And it's not feeling good. But he's like, hey, I want to get your attention. Because God always was the, their deliverer in the past. People like Moses and David, he sent them. And, and there was a great anticipation for the next manifestation of the deliverer. So here comes John. John is the preparer of the way. Says that he has said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? The people had to turn their hearts back to God in order to experience deliverance. The occupation of foreign conqueror is the method of God using it to get their attention. Sometimes we get in a spot where we turned our back on God and He has to allow something to happen to get our attention. To say, hey, come on back. I got something for you. I got a deliverer for you. So here we had Moses, we had David, we had Joshua doing their things back in the Old Testament. And here comes John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, saying, hey, I'm ready to take you someplace new. I'm ready to take you someplace new. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The people had to turn their hearts back to God in order to experience deliverance. John uniquely adapts common practice of today's when he teaches about humility, commitment, and identification. See, Judaism was very important during the times of God when he was blessing when he was blessing, everybody wanted to be a Jew, right? I want to get in line for that. Other nations, other people, they took note when they saw the Israelites getting blessed. I want to become that. I want to become that. They wanted their, pace, their piece of the blessing pie, so to speak. Occasionally, Gentiles petitioned to become Jews. It's just human nature. Most of us want to identify with the winner. Think about what happened with the Super Bowl this year. It, I saw so many more Cincinnati fans come out of the woodwork because they're going to the Super Bowl. I see more L.A. Rams. Those teams wasn't very well populated with fans until after they was heading to the Super Bowl. That's why I, I really truly love Browns fans. You know, they, they have the real deal. They'll stick it out, right? They, they haven't had really anything to really cheer about for the last 30 or 40 years, but yet they stuck it out and they wrote it out. See, the Gentiles wanted to become Jews. They're called prolocytes. In simplest sense, that means they were converts. They were going to be converts. In context, the prolocytes is a Gentile becoming a Jew. And for the Gentile to become a full-fledged Jew, and any Gentile could do this, there was a three-step process that had to be completed. The first was to offer a sacrifice. A heifer, a pair of turtle doves, is what was brought to the priest. The priest had to give a burnt offering to God, and obviously there was expenses involved and a life of blood. The animal was killed for it. The next was circumcision. It's the cutting away of the piece of the flesh from the man's body. For a Jewish boy, this was done when he was about eight years old. That way the pain wasn't there or wasn't remembered. But an adult male who wanted to become a Jewish prolocet, they had to undergo the procedure, regardless of what age he was. So if he's 30 years old, He's going under the knife or under the rock. Ugh. Could you imagine that? That would prevent anybody from wanting to jump in to be a Jew. I don't know if I really want to be part of that if I have to go through that. You'd really take time to consider. There'd be a lot of contemplating. 
It's, it's not an impulse buy into Judaism. They didn't see a magazine that's checkout line at Lowe's and the headline says, it's time for your extreme Jewish makeover. I would think that that process left a lot more men out. Circumcision was unique to the Jewish people. Disgusting, permanent, irreversible, identifying mark of their body that designated them that they were the only people on earth that were in a covenant relationship with God. Finally, after the circumcision healed, the prophesite went through a final step, and that final step was baptism. The person stripped off all their clothes. They went into water naked and dipped themselves under the water, making sure they were fully emerged, fully, entire body. Now one bit of flesh didn't get wet. That's why if you're ever up there with me getting baptized and you don't go all the way under, I'm going to push you under again and again and again until you get all the way under. See, when males were baptized by priests, the priest was present. And when females were baptized, they were intended by other females. So there was probably a lot of humility that was taking place. Becoming a Jew wasn't quite a walk in the park. It was something that they did exceptionally. They thought about it, they contemplated about it before they just jumped right in. There was too many other things that was in play that you'd have to really say, let me pray about this. Let me contemplate about this. Once the process had been completed, the prophesite was now considered a Jew in every way. He had fully renounced his previous life, his previous nationality, his previous alliance. He or she was fully Jewish physically and spiritually. Their identity completely changed. Think about what happened. So Jesus, he's walking the earth for 30 years before he gets baptized. When he gets baptized, the Spirit of God comes down on him like a dove. Changes and transforms. From then on, we start reading of all the miracles. I know we say, you hear people say, well, what? he probably did miracles when he was a kid. But maybe it wasn't until the transformation when the Holy Spirit came into him like that, that dove that descended on him, that changed the ministry from the, for the next three years. There was an identity change in really what was happening. We say, well, he was God the whole time. Yeah, he was. But we see in that scripture, after he came up, the Spirit came down on him like a dove. It wasn't just an add-on to the, his life. You didn't just add on your Jewishness to your old identity. God didn't become just another among the gods of your life. You didn't go and accept him, do all the rituals, become that, and say, and I'm this. I'm a Jewish now, I'm a convert, but yet I still have the pagan gods. That ain't how it worked. You completely changed your identity. You completely changed. The Gentile died when they went under the water, and a new person with a new name came up. New identity was born. He or she came out of the water. See, John adopts this convert's baptism and morphs it into a baptism of repentance. Matthew 3, 5, and 6. Then the people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the, all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Remember now, these are Jews. John's task wasn't to get people into Judaism. It was to get God's people to realize their sin and turn back to God, to turn away their self-centeredness and get into their God-centeredness. Put them right in the middle, right? Right in the middle. The baptism was a moment of humility, commitment, and identification. It was a time a person could look and say, that's when I did it. I made a commitment public that day, and things was changed. We have those certain circumstances, those ceremonies these days. Graduation, it's almost like saying, hey, now you're ready to get out of the house. You got through school. It's a, it's a transformation of life. I graduated. Now I'm going to go on and get a job. Now I'm going to move out of my parents' house. 
I'm becoming something different. A wedding, a wedding ceremony. You know, we got that coming up. It's going to change the last name of the woman. There's a transformation. There's a change that's happening. Something happens. And that's kind of what was happening here. There was a, a new identity, a new identity that came about. There was this wedding ceremony, and uh, the preacher's wife asked him, how did the wedding go today? The preacher said, well, it was going great until I got to the part where I asked the bride if she was willing to obey her husband. She said, do you think I'm nuts? And the groom said, I do. And it really went downhill from there. But see, that actually, that story leads us into a nice place here. Jesus was baptized. His baptism was the protesting of John the Baptist. I'm not worthy of baptizing you, Jesus. I'm not, I'm, I'm not worthy of tying your sandals, right? Jesus explains why he has come for a baptism. Matthew 3.15. Jesus answered, allow it now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. When he got baptized, the Spirit of God come down on him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Are you saying that he wasn't righteous before that? He was. But there was an additive. There was a bonus, Jesus was saying. We've got to do this, and, and we're going to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. Jesus humbles himself to do what God asked him to do. It's obedience to God. Jesus does this because God requires it. He asked him of it. He lived a life of complete obedience to God. That's why we can say this about Jesus, that there's no other person who's ever lived that had not been sinless except for him. Can't say that about anybody else, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Obedience to God is all God ever asked. Back when God was getting this whole thing started, he had a conversation with Abraham when he said in Genesis 17, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be devout. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Think about what God's saying. I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be devout to me. Follow my ways, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Multiply what greatly? I mean, obviously, we know that that was a a nation of millions. He's wanting to be a father of many. What's God going to multiply in your life? When you submit your ways to His ways... And be devout from it to him, there's blessings that's going to rain down. Mandy says, yesterday we were talking about this. You go to a water park, and you know the big bucket that fills up with water, and then all of a sudden pours on you and drenches you? That's a good symbolization of God's blessings when you're standing right where you need to be with them. Now, if you're away from that and you're over here when it falls, what are you missing? The blessing. You know, I think that sometimes, I know sometimes, when we get out of his will, when we start doing things our own way because we've seen it. I mean, we talked about the Israelites. We've talked about the things happening that God said, okay, your heart's, your heart's getting hard. I need to bring you back. You're my people. Each one of you here today are his people. Somewhere in your spirit it said, get up this morning and go to church. Why? Because he has a relationship with you. You don't just get up and go to church because you don't have nothing else to do. The world gives us plenty to do. But we get up and we desire because the relationship that's burning in our heart to be in his presence. He wants a relationship with us. And we just need to stay in that zone with him. He, he's wooing us. He's at the door knocking and waiting for us to let him in. He says, once I'm let in, I'll come and sit down and have supper with you. I'll eat with you. And how many of us would like to just sit and eat with Jesus? Remember, I said that the nation of Israel got into trouble when they became complacent. 
They took God for granted and turned their backs on him. What, what is the descriptive of obedience or disobedience? Think about that. That's what the description of disobedience is, is turning our back on him. Baptism was another series of acts of humility, obedience on the part of Jesus. It began with his earth mission to come as a helpless baby boy, and it ended in his crucifixion and between Jesus obeying his father. He was obeying his father, doing what his father asked him to do while he was here. One of the most powerful expressions found in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus, it says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't say, oh, I'm the son of God. He didn't use it like that. Instead, he'd emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his eternal form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Obedience. Have you ever been put in a position to do something and you thought that you was, it was the least of yourself? Like, no, I can't. I, that's below me. I cannot do that. When we had Gina and Natalie, the first, when G, Gina came, I thought, women are supposed to change the diapers. That's below me, right? How soon did I find out that that wasn't true? Jesus took the steps of obedience to show us his way, to identify with those of us that do need to repent and turn back. Humility, commitment, and identification. That's really what baptism is all about. But what does that mean for you and me? I love advertisement. And Mandy loves Super Bowl commercials. She'll watch the Super Bowl with me just to see the commercials. Yeah. Because they're cool and they're new. Commercials are better than the game. You don't want to... Oh, the commercials are on. Now I'm going to be back to watch the TV, right? You, you, you're, you're seeing something that is changed from the, the way you used to see it. It's something new. I don't want you to miss this. Commercials are good. However, all the advertisement and estimates of the, the main view of 3,000 in a day... We naturally develop a, a consumer mentality. Our attitudes become, what can this do for me? Even though we're watching the commercials, we start to wonder, what can this do for me? Even about spiritual things. What can the church do for me? What can Jesus do for me? There's a book called Empires of the Mind. And it reports, although that there are approximately 450,000 words in the English language, 80% of our conversation is only 400 words. It probably comes as a surprise that most of the common words in the English language is guess. I, me, my, mine. There's a little question to think that it's all me generation, right? I'm not happy with that. Hey, you know, it's sad that we have so many words available to us and most of the words that we use is I, me, mine. But there's so much more to following Jesus. There's incredible benefits following Jesus. Unreserved acceptance, limitless love, God's unmerited favor, grace, forgiveness for all our sins, and purpose in life. Those are some amazing benefits that we can have just for following the Lord. It pays to follow Christ, I, I promise you. But following Christ is more than just the benefits. It entitles us to responsibility. The more of Christianity to do with humility, commitment, and identification. The convert's baptism was about humility, commitment, identification. Jesus' baptism was about humility, commitment, and identification. The baptisms we perform today is about humility, commitment, and identification. It's humbling to get into the water in front of people. We, we get people to crowd up here and they're, they're watching. And some people, I know we did one on a Wednesday because they didn't want to be seen by everybody. It takes a, a, a little bit of humility to say, you know what, I'm going to let everybody see this. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 19. It's an, also, it's an act of commitment, identification. When we're baptized, when you're baptized, people see you. And then there's an expectation. That expectation goes way up. People will expect you to walk the talk that you just did. You're identified with Christ. Just like He was baptized to identify with us. He got baptized to identify with us. We get baptized to identify with Christ. We become one with Christ. We're baptized to identify with Him. He was buried and rose again, and guess what? When we get buried and rose again from the water, it symbolizes exactly what Jesus did. Do you remember what happened when Jesus came out of the water? Matthew 3, 16, 17. After Jesus was baptized, He went up immediately out of the water, and the heavens suddenly opened up for Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on Him, and there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him, who I'm well pleased. Humble obedience, commitment to God, and identification with God always leads to his affirmation. Whenever you're being obedient, whenever you're walking in what he called you to do, and you're actually listening to him, there's going to be a word of affirmation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Whenever we're obedient to what he's called us, Keep persevering. Keep walking through. Get, it, get to where you need to be. Jesus gave us that example from being baptized. He was obedient. Did he need to be baptized? No. I don't think he did. He's God. He could have did whatever he wanted to get wherever he needed to go. There's a lot of scripture in Acts that we should believe in and be baptized. And it's just out of obedience for our Father. For humility. And for relationship. For new identity. Commitment. Sometimes it's getting rid of the old and getting us to where we become new in Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast channel and like us on all of our social media pages at Holy Spirit Living. We encourage you to look for the gold in others today. Be blessed, but better yet, be a blessing.